You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. the boys chance to shoot back on his left foot left foot shot and Boise oh what a fight out the team different boys he scored <laughs> and it's 2-1 odds hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. 66 minutes into the game, Hearts against Celtic. I'm sitting poised. Should I send the... I told you it'd be nil-nil. I predicted nil-nil. I didn't. And then they scored within 60 seconds. Uh, that's not really the talking point today, though. And we've got a full house of guests and I thought Hearts against Celtic, I thought the first half performance, Laurie, was outstanding. Plenty to talk about today. Unfortunately, there's a major talking point, and that's why we've got at least one of our two guests on to discuss. Indeed. Uh, we are joined again by Mr. Ryan McGowan, who sadly missed St. Johnston's game at the weekend, but a big result for his side. So it uh, must be in a good mood since you're back on the podcast. Yes, in a very good mood this week. Um, disappointed not to be out of play, but what a what a big result for us. Mm. Um, considering, you know, what it could have done if we didn't get the right result. So, um, yeah, heading in the right direction and full of confidence going into this week. You're safe now, aren't you? I wouldn't say that. I, I oh, come say that. on! It's a point. If on. we win at the it's weekend, if we win at the weekend, oh, that's us. But it's just because it's only well, it's really six points between three teams below us. You know, that's a yeah, but they've all got to play each other. You'll, you'll be I know, I know. You're fine. You're fine. We just, just get, want to get, get make a sure. fight slip or something. Nah, you're okay. <laughs> it's done. It's done. Uh, on a weekend full of uh, controversy and talking points when it came to decisions by officials, it was only right we got uh, a returning guest back on, uh, someone who was formerly a grade one referee, part of the Get Involved Referee podcast. We're delighted to welcome back on Des Roach. How are you doing, Des? I'm very well, guys. Thanks for inviting me back on. And as I say, always happy to always happy to help and answer a question. In fact, I think I was getting more questions from Mark at the weekend <laughs> rather than from a lot of my lot of my friends. But uh, yeah, yeah, happy to help. Happy to try and give some explanations. Some may be happy with them, some may not. But hey, yeah, it will always be an honest opinion. So this week we are going to talk about Hearts against Celtic, the game as a whole, and of course the big talking points, and one in particular, you don't need me to tell you which one that is, uh, we'll look ahead to the St Mirren game that's coming up next for Hearts as well, and wherever we might go with the discussion about refereeing decisions over the next hour or so. 
You're listening to Scarves Down the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So, Hearts against Celtic, we didn't expect much in the way of changes from the Hearts setup for this one, Mark, uh, especially after a 6-1 victory against Ross County last time out. Just the one change in the end, we were never really given a kind of straight-up answer about exactly the the decision-making uh, or the reason behind this decision. Uh, James Hill in for Nathaniel Atkinson. You'd probably say initially um, slightly maybe negative reception to that decision, would you say, given James Hill maybe recent performances in his previous game at right back? Between all the experts in on their laptops and on their phones, yeah. Um, you, can, you can always judge the tone based on the various comments after the team selection is is posted. So so why why was it made? Well, I think ultimately he's a better defender, regardless of position. James Hill's a better defender than Nathaniel Atkinson, maybe not as good going forward. But there's that extra height, and there's also that long throw ability. So mm. Hart's probably it's crazy knew, throw. Yeah, it's massive. Hart probably knew that they were going to get less of the ball. In fact, that always happens against Celtic. So it, it, it was another option to get you further away from trouble, and um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was fine. I thought it was uh, it was it was more than fun. Ryan, do you see any? You see a, a bit of a a McGowan in in James Hill? Is that centre back slash right back? He's he's got the kind of height and the physique. He can get up and down, but maybe torn between two positions. Not as good looking. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who you ask. Um... Yeah, I think that, and I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. He's probably Naismith's probably looking at the sort of old horses for courses in terms of you know you know you're going to be under pressure a lot more. You want to probably be a lot more compact than you would say do the previous week against Ross County. You're not going to have as much as the ball, so you know he feels that Hill coming in there would be able to do that, and it might just be a case of you know between Atkinson and Hill, it will be whoever takes their opportunity the most. Um, or uh, horses, of course, is a tough away game. Hill plays if it's somebody at home, then um, Atkinson plays, and and that's kind of why you need a a good squad and and all the players understanding the positions that they're wanting to be asked to play because you know you want to be able to make a changes and and not really affect the team as much as um, it does some other teams. Yes, I know you are watching the game as a. Not just for the decisions which we'll talk about, but what have you made of uh, the sort of change in Hearts' approach under Stephen Naismith compared to how they were playing under Robbie Nielsen? I was very impressed with them on Saturday. I thought um, they, they, sorry Sunday. I thought they were excellent. The first half um, in particular, they were pressing Celtic at all times. They weren't allowing them time on the ball. Um, they certainly made Hill's Hill's delivery from a from a throw in was. It's incredible, actually, um, and anything from the halfway line could turn into an attacking an attacking option. Um, so yeah, not been really impressed. Uh, he's given people opportunities, so I think he's got to, to widen the scope to see what, what if he gets the job, who he wants to keep, and what he wants to do. Um, yeah, very impressed. I thought they, they looked pretty solid at the back. Um, looking forward, Janelli's always got an outlet for them in the middle of the park as well. They were in Celtic's face, didn't give them a lot of time in the ball. So, yeah, I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far. And I think Stephen Naismith certainly done his case um, no harm to be a consideration for a full-time permanent manager. Mark, looking at the the approach, Hart certainly started the game with a, 
a really good tempo and I think it really helped the atmosphere. We, we saw in the cup game, Hearts started very timidly, Celtic on their faces. They had a couple of chances before going ahead and that was all within the first two minutes and it kind of sucked the life out of the game, didn't it? That game felt like it was over even at that point and from that point on, Celtic were in control and although Hearts had a little spell in the middle of the first half, they never really got a foothold in the game. Very different this one, wasn't it? Um, I, I find it interesting actually when you look at the possession, Hearts surrendered um, the majority of possession. They still only had about a third of possession in that first half, but it was it was very controlled by what they did. And it, in some ways it reminded me of how teams have started to combat Hearts under Robin Nielsen in terms of letting them have the ball in certain areas, letting certain players have the ball, but pressing them at the right moments at the right times. And you saw the likes of Yuki Kobayashi, who was maybe seen as a potential weak link for Celtic, someone who's not played many games for them, still quite new to the team, coming in for a very impressive performer in Cameron Carter-Vickers. And it was interesting, Hearts just let Kobayashi have the, let him have as much time as he wanted to try and pick a pass. And more often than not, he gave the ball away or played it out of play. And Hearts, the, the trigger press was in the right players, the likes of Cal McGregor, the likes of Greg Taylor, when they tried to play out to the left. I thought it was a really good example of how to play against a team who's going to dominate possession really well. Hearts were hearts, and they haven't been that way for, for quite some time. The intensity, the get in the face, the stopping Celtic from dominating possession and, and allowing them to pass around us. For the first half hour, that was that was the way it used to be. That was the way that with the fans on their feet making a hell of a racket responding to the performance on the pitch, that's that's the way that we remember it, it was. But, Ryan McGowan, when you put that effort in, that intensity in against a side like Celtic, it's got to be difficult, right? When it's, I mean, forget the fact that we, we went down to 10 men because that's a, a whole other topic that we're going to discuss in depth. But it, it must be very difficult to maintain that standard of pressing, of intensity, of work rate for, for 90 minutes. But I thought Hearts did that especially well for the first half hour and maybe even first half in general. Yeah, exactly. It reminded me a little bit of our performance against Celtic earlier on in the season when um, we oh, scored we late go. on. But uh, <laughs> give me a minute. But Celtic ended up <laughs> scoring, I think, in the 96th minute in terms of you know, what you guys were saying in regards to the press, we had triggers of players that we wanted to have on the ball and players that we didn't want to have on the ball. So yeah. you could get your breather when, um, I think it was, we played against Starfelt. So we we felt that Starfelt could have it and we would then allow him to kind of do what he wants. But then when it went into a McGregor or a Hatate or O'Reilly, we had to have pressure on that ball. We, we couldn't allow them to get their head up and, and get too many passes. And I think fans quickly pick up on that. Mm -hmm. um, opposition players quickly pick up on that. And it puts a lot more pressure on those players. You know, like, sorry, I can't remember who the Celtic defender was, the Japanese boy. He, he would have been then been like, oh my God, it's up to me now to play yeah. a pass that I normally wouldn't be playing. Or I would normally just, you know, be able to pass it to McGregor or Taylor or somebody else to do it. So it puts a little bit of unnecessary pressure on him. And then it only takes a couple of his passes to go astray and then he's maybe not wanting to do it and continually give the ball away. So, um, yeah, it, it shows that Naismith's done his homework. It shows that they've obviously worked on it during the week. And, um, you know, I think that 
when fans and supporters of a club can see that going into a weekend's game, a big game, then you know they always get behind that and, and try and help the team as much as they can. Interesting as well, Mark, that there was um, a noticeable difference in the last few games about what Hearts do with the ball as well. I mean, I, I know there have been a lot of um, side-to-side passes, a lot of yes. very low-tempo um, phases of play, but certainly not afraid to get the ball forward, get it forward quickly. And it, it doesn't always work, but sometimes even playing the percentage football can work. You saw Hearts pick up a few chances just with the likes of Kobayashi heading clear and giving it straight back to a Hearts player. They were onto those second balls very quickly. And again, Tynecastle reacted. I know Robbie was very focused on possession and at times that, that does work and there are there's some logic behind that. But in the modern game, especially against a team that will likely dominate the ball regardless of the way the game goes, um, playing that way, it can have its real positives, can't it? And I think the Hearts crowd certainly reacted that way. It's easy to react to, isn't it? When, when you see something that's worth reacting to, something that really gets raised or really gets headlines, and I'm, I'm sure Ryan can appreciate this, I thought Hearts were really good without the ball on Saturday. I thought they were very well organised. Yeah. I thought Cammy Devlin was was all over the place. I think Cammy and Oda um, were two that maybe could have been a little bit better with the ball in possession, but it's not so much Cammy's game. O- Oda's not frightened. I love that about that kid. Give me the ball. I'll take it on. Make some mistake. No, give me the ball back. But without the ball, I, I thought we were we were really rigid. I thought we were we were regimented. And Stephen Naismith has got to be proud of that. And, and this this is all the first half. Because for me, the, the second half against a team like Celtic, the probability is they would probably beat us with the 11 men. And when it goes down to 10, then it becomes extra hard. And as I said about the pressing and the intensity, trying to do that with 10 men, Lauren Shankland and was one of many who were out on their feet at the end of the game. But you're right about getting it forward quicker, more direct, not long balls, but movement. And the one thing that you and I have discussed in five and a half years of this is options for players on on the ball. Who hides? Who wants it? No one was hiding at the weekend. And I was proud of that first half performance by Hearts. And and, and overall, um, I think it was it was a it was a game that we expected probably not to win, but no damage was done thanks to Todd Cantwell and his goal for Rangers. So it's it's as you were with with what four games to go now. Certainly is. Um Des, from a an officiating point of view, uh, you know, to me watching that first half, it felt like you know it had a very good intensity. There was plenty of challenges, but it all felt quite controlled. There was a yellow card for Matt O'Reilly, which was pretty much deserved. There weren't really too many complaints about it. Um, it's funny before that moment, right at the end of the half, it it felt like a game, and I, I've listened to your podcast a few times, and I know. Um, you, you both kind of talk often about a referee um, getting a feel for the game. And I, I felt that time, you know, Nick Walsh seemed to have things under control. And I thought he was actually letting a few things go in a good way. Yeah, that was my feelings exactly as well. Um, <clears throat> I was watching it. And you know that there's obviously a, a lot of pressure on Celtic to potentially win the win the league. There's pressure on Hearts to get as, as high up the league as they can. It was, um, it was opened at a... That's probably the faster tempo as I've seen Hearts open for a long time. Celtic obviously played that as well. And Nick was quite happy to let them go at it. Uh, any minor misdemeanours, you could see him working hard, talking to the players. I thought he was doing I thought he was doing terrific. His first caution was timely. It was absolutely fine. Nobody complained about it. I thought Nick was showing why he's 
um, currently the best referee that we have at this moment in time. So I was delighted with the performances putting in uh, in both teams, both sets of management. I don't think anyone could have any complaints at all. Um, certainly in the first 42 minutes of the match, I thought it was a, an excellent spectacle and an excellent performance from Nick up until that point. Before I get to the the big moment that we're about to talk about in this game, one thing I want to run past you because um, I, I, I discussed this on the podcast uh, after you were last on, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. I don't know how much... Um, feedback you've uh, received on the kind of VAR feed but I know some of the broadcasters well you know this, uh, the broadcasters have access to it and one thing I found quite interesting in the last Heart Celtic game um, where Willie Collum was also the VAR, so Willie Collum was VAR for this game just passed but he was also VAR for the uh, 3-0 Cup defeat last time. Now I don't have access to the feed, um, probably quite sensibly they're not letting um, Club TV get access to it I think I would be sensible with that, but can't can't speak for every club TV. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I found this quite interesting, and it, uh, I didn't really like it. But um, Kevin Clancy was apparently getting um, Willie Collum in his ear in the first half, saying, "Keep an eye on Andy Halliday; he's leaving something in on his tackles." Well, for now, me, that that's entirely wrong because, as we'll come on to. I'm a very big advocate, and as a Steve, and, and we've spoke about it for a long time, and I'm sure Ryan would agree. I think you've got to have, first of all, you've got to have an understanding of the game. You've got to have a feeling for football in general. You need to have a feeling for that match. You need to be able to identify the the tempo of the match. You've got to be able to identify the tempo of particular players and particular flashpoints. But that's your job as a manager. You're not there to have someone telling you here. If you're doing that, I'd be as well going next door and playing FIFA with my son. Very clear. That's just, that's not what VAR's there for. That's not there. If I was the fourth official, which is an entirely different role, or if Steve was my fourth official, yes, I would expect Steve to say to me, Des, maybe that's three fouls from Andy Hardy, just to have a wee watch on it, or there's potential over in the the, the left back and the right winger, etc. That's in-game management from the from the team on the field to play. It's just like any of the Hearts players at the weekend or Ryan at the weekend will listen to their managers and the coach at the side of play. They'll listen to it. It's not rugby. It's not somebody sitting up on a, on a, a screen and bringing things back down to you. So again, that's entirely wrong. VAR is not there to intervene in the control of a match on a, a moment-to-moment basis. It's the referee's job to have a feeling for the game. It's a referee's job to put his interpretations of the match and take the advice from his assistant referees and the fourth official. So, in terms of this game, late in the first half, a very you know tight first half. I think most people would agree that Hearts kind of edged it in terms of looking at slightly more threatening the two sides, albeit they wouldn't actually get a shot on target that would count in the final stats over the 90 minutes. Uh, but Anthony Ralston would play a long ball over the top looking for Dyson Maida, who is of course very fast, got in behind Alex Cochran. Not many times that had happened in the game, but he got in behind him this time. Uh, ran across the Hearts defender, who did seem to, to clip him. There's a slight hand in the back and maybe a little clip of the heels. Um, not too many complaints that it had been given as a foul, to be fair, from the Hearts defender. Uh, an immediate yellow card issued by Nick Walsh. Kai Rolls was just a little uh, bit behind, a few yards tracking tracking back and Maida had his teammate Kyogo Furuhashi making a run into the centre 
Um, so not too many complaints from from either side, to be fair, with the free kick being given, the yellow card being issued about maybe 23, 24 yards from goal, the walls getting set up, uh, Nick Walsh is obviously spraying the line 10 yards away, um, and then we, we hear the dreaded announcement that there is a VAR check going on, and of course the, the big screen at Tynecastle comes up saying they're checking for a possible red card. Now, I know, Mark, you were giving me a bit of stick about this because in commentary, Jimmy and I both said, correct call, yellow card, Nick um, uh, Kyros is covering. Uh, we then got a couple of shots from the angle and we did say, I have to admit, we did say when we saw that and it was getting reviewed, you could see why the referee might see this as a red if he does review it again. Um, what was your feeling on this when the ball first came over the top and the foul took place? It's a yellow card all day long. The reason I messaged you at halftime was to say, did you think that was a red? I was watching on, on Sky. I normally watch your coverage. And there were there were no issues. A yellow card, there were no issues. Normally you can tell from the players as well. Even the Celtic players were a wee bit pissed at the beginning. But then they were like, okay, fine, back we go. I think we've had one decision overturned or someone saying, no, not one decision overturned, sorry. Um, I think we've had one decision where the referee has gone to the monitor this season and has decided not to take the advice of the video assistant referee, and I believe that was Willie Collum, and it was subsequently the wrong decision because I think they appealed it and, and they were successful with the appeal. I'm sure Des can can clarify. If it, it, that's that's true, Des, isn't it? Yeah, it's just yeah. The, the, one. The, the irony of ironies, and it was the first time it was ever going to be overturned, it was always going to be Willie Collum that overturned it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you were going to put a bet on at the start of the season, and thankfully now I can put a bet on because I'm not involved in football, I would have been I would have been lumping a lumping a sum on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, there has only has been one overturned this year. Well, no, two. Well, sorry, the, the, one overturned, but the referee didn't take the assistant video assistant referee's advice, and it was Willie. And it was subsequently proved to be wrong, yeah. um, but as I said, it had to be. It had to, it had to be that one. It had Des, to be you. There's very <laughs> so one. Just we're obviously going to talk about this a little bit more. But a, a yes or no, um, a yes or no answer to this one. If it's not Willie Collum and it's any other of, of the referees who've done VAR this season on VAR for that moment, does that go to a review? I would like to think not. I would like to think not. And if it was Willie Collum, and well, it was Willie Collum, and if he's called Nick across, Nick should have the courage of his own convictions to turn around and say, no, I'm quite happy where I am. But as we're all going to discuss, in my opinion, there's a couple of reasons why the VAR call should never have come in in the first place. Mm. So, Laurie, Nick, Nick, Nick's an experienced referee, and it might be the case that someone on VAR, it shouldn't be, but it might be the case that someone on VAR might think, "Nah, I'm not. I'm not too sure that that I should interject there." But what what we have and what we've seen over the weekend is we've seen a number of former match officials, Grade One and others, and there has been a split decision based on that. So if there's a split decision between both current and former referees, then that to me clearly says that it's not a clear and obvious error. There's also a lot of moonhowlers out there that don't know what Law 12 is if they had it in front of them in a book. Law 12 fouls in misconduct. Now, as a commentator, 
I've got to know the crux of the laws of the game because I've, I've got to know. And I'll, I'll make mistakes. We all do. And Des and Steve have said on their podcast, well, of course, everybody makes mistakes. But you can't go into something with a with a lack of education. And that's the angle I want to come at from, from this one. These it's, it's all subjective, right? This isn't black or white. This isn't, is it offside or is it not offside? This is, is subjectivity. So it, unless you're well aware of Law 12, Fouls and Misconduct, and you can read into that as much as you want, I don't think there is enough in the decision that was made for VAR to get involved for that to be overturned. Because in, in my view, that is de- not, it's certainly not denying a goal, because you've got no idea what's going to happen. Is it denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity? The key word for me there is obvious. Is it denying a goal-scoring opportunity? Yes, it is. Because he's in front of Kai Rolls. He's got his teammate in the middle. But is it an obvious goal-scoring opportunity? The first contact that is made by Cochrane on Maida, the ball is at least nine feet in the air. He's not even under control of the ball. Yes, he's in behind. I get that. There's a lot that could still happen. So is it a goal-scoring opportunity? Yes, it is. Is it an obvious goal-scoring opportunity? No, it's not. And that's why I personally think that VAR should not have got involved. Well, Mark, obviously you and I have a a conversation on this one and we are, you're singing from, you're singing from my hymn sheet this time. (laughs) No, what there is, there are VAR protocols within Law 12 that have been added to the laws of the game. And quite rightly, and what my opinion is, and it's exactly what you've said there, Cochrane's came back. Yes, he's caught him. There is no doubt about it. We know that Maeda is exceptionally fast. But the ball when Kaida, eh, sorry, Maeda um, goes to ground, is Cairo's going to get there? Possibly. Is Kyogo potentially getting a pass? Possibly. But is Maeda in control of the child, in control of the ball? No. The ball's in the air. So if the ball was at his feet, was at his knee, was at his chest, that he was controlling it and then moving forward, and the contact then happened, yes, I can accept it. It's, it's a red that, then. I could accept that as a red card then. Mm-hmm. However, at no point is Maeda going to score from that initial contact because he doesn't have control of the ball. And at that point, it's an opinion from Nick. And Nick has made a correct opinion. Well, he's made his opinion which is fine. It's not a clear and obvious error. So therefore, the fact that it's not a clear and obvious error, the assistant, the VAR, doesn't need to get involved because what's happening here is VAR is re-refereeing that incident. Yeah. And it's not allowed to re-referee that incident. The referee has made his opinion. In his opinion, it's a foul, it's a yellow card, and we just move on with play. And I think you'll find from the reaction of all the players which is generally the best reaction, the reaction of all the players. Um, Nick setting up, ready to go, and then he gets a call in the uh, There was no need for that call to come in because there had been no clear and obvious error and a referee is allowed to make opinions. We get them right, we get them wrong. But that's that's not clear and obvious. That's the biggest bit for me. It shouldn't, have been, Chris, it shouldn't have been allowed. When Chris Sutton says that a decision that goes in Celtic's favour was the wrong one, then either hell's about to freeze over or you know that it was the wrong decision. John Hartson yeah. probably still thinks it was a 
bang on decision to be made by VAR. Too, Everything so. goes against Celtic. But, but see, the, it's funny because I was going to just mention that, Des, because I think we had, we had you on last time. I think we spoke about this as well. And I mentioned the fact that when they did that little uh, 30 minute kind of documentary thing on introducing VAR, I found it quite interesting. And I found, the, the thing I found most interesting was the fact that they said, you know, the, there has to be a, it has to be, like you said, a clear and obvious error. And one of the games when they were using VAR in the kind of youth games, there was a penalty call, um, yep. and I thought the referee quite clearly got it wrong. And the VAR, the guy doing VAR, I wasn't sure who it was. Actually, thinking back, but I think it was he, Greg Aitken. Yeah, and he said, "I think the I think the defender's got touching the ball, and the referee can't see it from his angle." And he watched it repeatedly and says, "I wouldn't have given a penalty." However, I can't say it's a clear error because from his angle, he can't maybe see that touching the ball. And I actually thought that's maybe a good shout to. To overrule him because you're saying you can see something that he can't but okay you're saying it's really strongly you can only get involved if it's a big error it's not just a subjective well I wouldn't have given it the way he has but you know and I think one thing I did say in commentary I said you know when I and this is what I don't like about it see as soon as I saw one replay and I, and I said in commentary I said um this is going to be touch and go because it's going to be down to an individual interpretation and what I should have said is well, it shouldn't be going to VAR here because it's not a clear error. It's in, it's subjective. And as soon as he, he, he made the signal, he's going to the side. I, I, we all we all knew it was going to happen, didn't you we, know, Mark? Yes. We, we all know yeah. it. He's gonna he's gonna overturn what he said because the referee's basically told him he's got it wrong. I, I, I'm yeah. sure that's not the wording it's used. So how, how why is that not being implemented? I mean, because it, it, it's easier for the referees to implement it in that way almost because a decision like a, deci a decision like that is subjective. And it's the reason why I don't think Hearts will um, will will try and um, will try and look to get it overturned the 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 uh, suspension because you, no can't, you, can't argue, that you can't argue you can't argue that it, it it could be a red card but why is that being reviewed and why is that not I just don't understand where's that coming from because somewhere that's not being implemented as it should be it's coming from the hierarchy it, it can only that's the only place it can come from and it's coming from mark quite rightly said it's coming from the education that's been passed down but obviously myself working with an education the biggest thing that you you have a, a, a delegation of um opportunity to do is make sure it's consistent and if i've got mark donaldson or laurie in my class doesn't matter who's the better one or who's the, the same you give them the same information to get them both to the same level and apply the laws at the same level it's clearly not happening it's clearly not happening and it's only happening in scotland i've never seen so many var errors happen anywhere in europe and it's always happening here and it's contentious decisions and it's handballs so we rushed it in only scotland can rush something in halfway through a season only scotland can be five years late to the party and use the second second hand equipment um it's just not been it's just not been used correctly and if it's subjective and there is no clear and obvious de decision yeah you may have your own little bit of dubiety but you shouldn't be standing round and saying to them that you need to go and change that decision because it's not clear it's not obvious and if it's a bit of dubiety then you've got to give the benefit to the match referee i'll, I'll give an example so the game at um the game at the weekend there was there an error? I don't think so, because it's subjective. When you look at the Ross County uh, Livingston game, there was a, a, a 
foul at the halfway line. The Livingston player went for a header. He's not deliberately, I don't think, intent, but he's elbowed the Ross County defender in the neck jaw area. The referees came across. David Dickinson has given the player a yellow card because that's what he thinks he's seen. Fine, he's, that's the subjective view. It's then went to VAR. VAR's asked him, look, David, I think you need to come across. He's then seen the pictures where it is clear and obvious that this player has struck somebody in the in the in the jaw in the facial area. That's factual, not subjective, not not a not there's a debate on it. That's factual. So if it's a factual decision, that's where VAR has to come in because that was a clear and obvious error. A player's remaining on the park, a dangerous challenge. He's been over to look at it. Oh right, I didn't see it that way. Absolutely, thank you very much. Just sort of see what I'm getting at there with the, the difference of the difference of opinion. It's an opinion or fact. That's what we've got to take into account. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. I just want to bring something up um, to, to clarify, and we can get Ryan into this as well. There are 17 laws of the game, I understand. Yes. So those 17 laws of the game right now are the 17 laws of the game. Now, how yes. they're interpreted is, it shouldn't be different, but but it can be at times. How do supporters like me and Laurie, commentators, how do players like Ryan Look upon this situation where we have yourself, Steve, and many others saying it shouldn't have been overturned. We have several. Dermot Gallagher was on Sky Sports News this morning. Stuart Dougal was on the BBC, another former grade one referee in Scotland. They're saying it was the correct decision. It might have been harsh, but it was the correct decision. As fans, commentators, and players... How are we meant to know that they know what they're doing and they know the application of these 17 laws of the game if different former grade one, grade two and various other officials can't agree whether or not that was the right or the wrong call? That can't fill us with confidence. No, it can't. It can't at all. Um, but like a, like a player... They will make mistakes in the game, of course they will. A referee will make mistakes. But the best ones make less mistakes. But the bit for me, in given the VAR, is that we've not trained long enough on it. We're not, we're not, our guys weren't ready. This should have been running in the background for a year and buy themselves more time. What What was the rush? I know the rush was because they wanted guys to get into European football. But the inconsistencies that it's shown, I think fans, commentators players can accept inconsistencies over tackles, throw-ins, corners. Yeah, but when someone in a monitor is having a bigger influence on the match rather than the match official, I think that's where people are being very, very frustrated. Uh, Ryan, you've been involved um, in football in the A-League when VAR has been used a little bit longer. Um, have you noticed a significant difference in, in how it was managed over in Australia compared to how it's been managed this first season in Scotland? Yeah, it's very similar to the first year in the A-League where I think we've spoken about it on the past before. 
when I first came to Scotland, it was like every decision, we need to check VAR. Everything has to be checked. Everything's checked. Even like a sort of tackle in the middle of the pitch, the referee would be like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 instead of just refereeing the game. And I think slowly, probably in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed refs, they are just doing that. They're refereeing the game. And then the whole point of VAR is that they then come into your ear when they go, oops, mate, I think you've missed something. Or come have another look at this because we think this has happened. And I would say the last 18 months in the A-League has been a lot better because it's only sort of massive decisions. And like what Des said, it's just the referees getting used to having VAR and what that is. I felt like at the start of the season, they were they were too scared to make a decision because they just thought VAR would do it for them instead of making that decision. And then VAR would say, yeah, good one, mate, that's correct, or come have another look. And and probably that's where the frustration from the fans is, is that there is this big, massive sort of, you don't know who's in charge and you don't know what the VAR is going to do. You know, like that, as soon as the VAR comes up or checking it, unless it's a sort of offside or something like that, you're just thinking, oh, this could actually be anything here. What, what have I done? Still, yeah, they could see a still picture, they could do that. And I remember some games in the A-League, they'd be going back like almost two phases in play and there was a handball in the build-up of the goal, but there's been 15 passes later and it gets chalked off because, you know, back then the rules were if at any time the attacking players have touched it with their hands, it was a penalty. And um, But yeah, like you said, that it just seemed... Recently, the refs have been relatively good with the whole VAR thing. Take out the weekend there, but it seemed when it first came out, they were they were super excited to to be using VAR. But what's interesting is that we had a bounce game against Kilmarnock just after the World Cup break, and the referees there used VAR. So we played like a bounce game in front of nobody, um, and they were using VAR for that game just to get them used to the you know handling that situation which I found quite interesting. Mark, uh, in in the latest podcast um, that Des and Steve do, uh, I thought it was quite telling something that Steve Conroy mentioned. You know, they're talking about Nick Walsh having been one of the better performing referees recently, and it kind of sums up things at the moment where he actually gets told to review his own correct decision and, and then actually overrules himself with an incorrect decision because of our technology that we've got in place. I mean, it, is it actually making our referees worse at times? Good point. That's a good point because I think when you have a comfort blanket, then life becomes a little bit easier, whether you're a child and you're a wee bit upset at something. Um, we've all got kids and there are times you just need an arm around the shoulder and there's your there's your blankie or there's your, your stuffy or your soft toy or whatever to, to appease them. I think VAR has become a stuffy has become a soft toy, has become a blankie for a lot of, of Scottish football uh, officials. And it's a case of, it, this is the way it appears. I, I can't say it is because it's the appearance that there have been some decisions that have been made, including the one Graham Shinney up at, um, at Ross County. That was one of two or three this season. It wasn't even given as a foul by a referee standing no more than 10 yards away, seeing the incident, thinking there was nothing wrong with it, with his own eyes, and then suddenly he's, he's asked to come over and, and being told, I think you should have another look at that. So to go from no free kick to a red card to an appeal, to a flippant appeal, 
on something that wasn't even a foul and an extra game added. I think that, for me, just shows, as Des has, has said on many occasions on his podcast and Steve, and, and we have as well, you can't go half-arsed into something. You either go all bells and whistles at the start of the season, but you don't go to a jumble sale, buy a bike with one wheel and expect <laughs> that it's going to be able to be ridden straight away. You're going to have to do some work, and that's the problem. Rant over. <laughs> De- Des, what do you think the answer is here? Because um, we've had a, a pretty disastrous first season under VAR. Now, I've, I, I hate VAR as a concept generally. Uh, even when it works, I just I feel it kind of ruins the the best parts of football, the the spontaneity, the flow of a game. Um, I'm going to have to accept. I think it's going to be around. They're not just going to drop it, which would be my solution. What, what would your solution be? How, how do we get past this? Because it seems like every week there's at least one or two big mistakes being made, and if anything, we've got more controversy and more errors in our game than before VAR, and this is costing us money. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um... Well, the first thing is it's not going to go away because it's a it's a FIFA project and FIFA being the world governing body. If you want to be part of FIFA and if you want to uh, have your top referees participating at a highest level refereeing in, in Europe, etc., then you've got to have VAR within your country. Plus the amount of money that has been spent on it all around the world, it's, it's not going away. Um, a solution for it, if I knew a solution, I'd be writing a white paper right now and I'd be sending it into, into Hamden. Um, the, the worrying factor for me... That'd be well-received, wouldn't it, Des, by them? Because you love them on your show. Dear Willie. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, Willie's, Willie's had, had a good career. I just think he's maybe coming towards the end of his time. Um, like anybody does, everybody's got a shelf life. I think the, the, the frightening point was that when we ruled out start of October... The man who signs off the checks, Ian Maxwell, already said we were going to be in for a lot of bother with it. We were going to experience a lot of problems. Now, I'm sorry, if I go and buy a car, I don't expect to drive off the forecourt knowing that I'm going to have lots of problems with it. And I would like to think that if you are going to be introducing something of such great consequence to the game, you have to have it correct. And that it's always the same. It goes down to the education and the training of the people who are going to be operating it. I could have the best computer in the world. I could have a NASA computer in the world. And if I put my eight-year-old son in front of it, is he going to know how to use it properly? Absolutely not. So you're going to get these guys using all of this best equipment, but they have to know how to use it correctly and have to know how to use it to implement on the pitch. I think that what's happened recently, I would agree with Ryan at the start of the season, I think the guys were hesitant, thinking, well, if I've got it wrong, I'll get Big Brother upstairs who'll dig me out a hole. And they were quite happy to use it. What I think it's now done, and particularly with Nick over the last couple of weeks, it's maybe knocked their own confidence because they've went and taken advice that's proven to be the wrong advice. So you're going to go in there with that little niggle in the back of your head. So it has to come down to that the SFA get it right, get it the I don't know if it's the amount of coaches they need, the amount of referees they need. Um, ex-players who can come on and help within VAR, people who can read the game. I think there's a, a great opportunity here for Scottish football to get this correct and they've got to use all the stakeholders within it and I'm going by that by meaning clubs, ex-players, match officials, ex-match officials, etc. And let's sit down and work out 
how we're going to do this. Take the FIFA guidelines and make sure it's implemented. The difficulty would be is I do not think the SFA would ever come out and publicise this because if someone, if they say this is what's stalled, this is what we're expecting, and something goes wrong week four, week six, they'll just say, well, you told us that wasn't what was going to happen. You told us this was ready to go again. This was up and running. The car's been fixed. And the SFA will never take responsibility for making anything public. I mean, mm. how often have you seen Crawford Allen talk in public this year? Once oh, on the one show? What, what was the what was the website that that they had when it was short lived where they tried the, to explain the, the whistleblower the, the whistleblower that that didn't last long. Can I, by the way, Des, can can I can I ask you the question that Laurie asked me? Do you think the performance of Premiership officials, the men or the women in the middle in Scotland, has been affected by VAR since it came in? Yes. Yeah, I would say that massively. Yes, that's a damning indictment, isn't it? I think it's made everyone extremely cautious and it's made everyone feel um, very much under scrutiny. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that massively. I've, I've said to refs during games, like, you just make the decision. Like, what are we waiting around here for? You make the decision, then they have to then decide, has he made the right one or has he made a clear and obvious error? It's not up to them to ref. You know, like, I think we had a penalty incident and he was like, um, I'm not sure if it's a penalty, but we're just going to have to wait. I'm like, well, sh just, do you know what I mean? Like, you're not, he just make that decision. The one that springs to mind was the Celtic and Hearts. I think it was the first game that had it. It's like a stonewall penalty. And I know that the ref, he goes to give it, but then he's just thinking, oh, VAR will sort it out for me. Just the give Ross it. Kennedy it's a game. Ross Two weeks ago, I was I was laughing in that one when um, the young uh, county defender sticks his leg out, comically trips um, Shanklin over like kids do when they stick their leg out because they see someone running down the corridor. And Shanklin was tumbling over. That was Don and, Robertson, wasn't it? That didn't and, it? and play was going on, and I was like, "When are we going to give the penalty? We know it's going to get to that point." And eventually, the game stopped. Eventually, went over to the screen and reviewed it, and the penalty was given like three minutes later or something. But it was comical. You could actually hear and see the contact. He sticks his leg out. It was one of the most obvious penalties. And even the defender had that sort of guilty look because I thought, no, here we go. Um, it just, it, it just like that, the, the referees, yeah, like Ryan says, they, they don't want to make that decision. But surely... Those are, the ones, those are the ones that I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for our Category 1 referees that are operating with that because they've been sold up the river. And I feel really sorry because there's some really good referees in there. And when mm -hmm. you're back in the old days, you either have a good game or a bad game, you'll find out off your observer the next morning, like a player would find out off his coach on the Monday morning, and you know if you've got a game the next week. I feel really sorry for them because it's it must be a lot of pressure on their shoulders not knowing what to give and when to give it on occasion. You've got you've got to kind of know. Ryan will know if he's had if he's had a good game or a bad game. Every player does, and it must be the same for the referees. The analogy has to be that that referees and VAR is like driving instructors. When you're sat beside a driving instructor, you're, you're you're thinking about far more than you would if you just once you pass your test, you get in a car, and it just it comes natural to you. Now, up yep. until VAR was implemented, it just came natural to referees. Some made mistakes, didn't want to, but it happens. We all make mistakes. But now it's like you've got a driving instructor sat right beside you, and it it, it can't. I, I, that's why I I totally agree with what you're saying about feeling sorry for for the officials. 
Because what's this doing for future recruitment? I wouldn't want my kids to get involved in refereeing because of all the hassle and the abuse that they get. The recent old firm game and the, the numbers and addresses being made public. Fuck that. I'm not wanting that kind of life for anybody in my family. So how does it how do you go about recruiting for a job that can see you travel Europe, travel the world, have a wonderful life, an enjoyable life, as well as having potentially another job, if all this baggage comes along with it, Des? There's, do, oh, there's, sorry, just to jump in there. Do you think the standard of referees at this moment is not as good as, you know, say maybe five or ten years ago? Yeah, like players, you have like a, a kind of golden generation and then you have a little bit of a lull. Do you feel like that could be a case or do you just feel like, they're like you said, they're, they're getting a little bit thrown under the bus because of VR being introduced when possibly it shouldn't have been? This is a question that comes around all the time, oh, this generation is not as good as the last one and you're not as good as the previous and the previous. That, that comes around all the time. I would say that at this moment in time, we've got a couple of very good referees at the top level. I thought that Don Robertson, when he done the Old Firm semi-final at short notice when Willie Ginger, I thought Don was excellent. I think Don's a fantastic referee. I think Nick, on his day, again, is a fantastic referee. Mm-hmm. You've got some young guys coming through. David Dickinson, he's doing well. He's on the FIFA list now. What we need to do is we need to get more young guys. And those guys that I've just mentioned there, Don's a wee bit older, but you get more young guys. You've got to have them coming through. You've got to give them opportunities. But the, it's the recruitment of them. And the, I'll always go back to it. It's the education and training of them to say this is what's expected. You've got to make it a... a an incentivised programme to get involved with. And I wouldn't say the referees are worse. Uh, I think that would be disrespectful to say that to them. What I would say is I think they've been put under far more scrutiny than they've ever been done before. Hugh Dallas, uh-huh. Stuart Dougal was never under this amount of scrutiny. So That's the how key. Would they, yeah, yeah, I agree that, with that. How would, they, how would they have coped? We would never know. But what I would like to do is I would like to see our guys. And I've spoken to some young referees at games I attend um, and they've come up and asked me questions I've always said look I'm happy happy to answer questions just just ask me um, as I do with you guys uh, I would just like to think that the men at the top within the SFA need to readdress how they're delivering their, their programmes what their expectations are and what opportunities they can give for these young guys to get it right referees are no different from players they come through the system the best ones will get to the top the other ones will find another another avenue right i will shift us on into the the second half because <laughs> there was a second, second half there was a second half i i know i mean it, it's kind of a write off the game effectively for hearts after the sending off i thought they they adjusted pretty well they defended in a very organized fashion i think it took until celtic until as you mentioned before it was about the 67th minute to get that opening goal and they did only get three shots on target in the end over the course of the game scored two of them um i guess another decision which i kind of highlighted during the game i thought could easily be in a second yellow was for matt o'reilly um mm. a challenge on cami devlin in the middle of the park just left quite a high boot on him don't know how you felt about that one mark yeah it was like the scottish cup quarterfinal draw when it was made you knew after it was made it was a fait accompli and it was like when the red card was handed out to Cochrane, you knew afterwards it was a fait accompli. And I'm not saying I, I lost interest 
in the game because the longer it went, the more at nil nil you thought there's still there's still a chance here. Um, would we be talking about that had Cochrane not received a red? The one thing I'd like to ask, and I've I've spoken to a couple of refs about this, and I actually had different answers. One was was about and it was older refs getting away with a, a challenge in the first five ten minutes, and some say back in the day you used to it doesn't happen anymore. But the second thing, and it's mentioned a lot, Des, and and I think it'd be interesting for you to clarify this. Why does it appear that there seems to be a higher tariff for a second yellow card? if a player is already on a yellow card? Is that just our perception, or does it actually happen? And if it does, why? So, it shouldn't happen. And I'll be honest with you, it does happen. Um, the reason being, if you're going to send someone off, that's a major decision in the game. You're, mm -hmm. you're, 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 you're denying a team uh, an extra player. What I was always guided was... If you are going to give someone a second yellow card, second yellow card, it has to be blatant. It can't be a subjective one. It has to be that stonewalled. That the supporters, everybody goes, "Why have you just done that? He's already been booked." See one of these wee tippy tappy ones or we pull the jersey. It's got to be something that's stuck on. That's what we are always told. However, as we all know, it should be consistent across the board, and that's another inconsistency. Um, but yeah, no, that perception. While it's not um, in the SFA and Vardict and people will say that's that that's a lie, it's not. We were always coached if you're given a second yellow card, it has to be a stick on that you can. Do you think it's a it. second yellow for Matt O'Reilly? Not a stick I didn't on. No. Not a stick on. No. <laughs> not a stick on. Really, Colin was allowed to review second yellows. Do you think he gets involved? <laughs> <laughs> I know he can't because it's not a VAR issue, a second yellow, but <laughs> if it was... Yeah, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what goes on in there. <laughs> yeah. isn't, it, isn't it funny how when a, when a letter appears from the east end of Glasgow, Celtic Football Club, and it's made public that they've sent a letter to the SFA or it's brought up and a lot is discussed in the media that the perception seems to be they got more after that happened than they did before. Now, a lot of people got in touch with Laurie, me, everybody. The minute you put an opinion on in social media, you're going to get people that agree and disagree. That's life. That's not a problem. But there's an element of hypocrisy that, oh, we never get a decision, and Rangers always get these, and how many penalties have they had given against them? Thankfully, I live in in, in the United States, and, and, and I don't live in... in the west side of Glasgow, because it's got to be like a goldfish, or the west side of the country in Scotland, because it's got to be like a goldfish bowl, and that you you have to be strong to be part of that. Because look, it's easy to be hypocritical here and say, "Oh, hearts this, hearts that." Michael Smith got away with murder earlier in the season. It's just a stonewall penalty for Celtic, and it wasn't given. But they can add that to their armory of decisions that that went against them. But ultimately, it's they got more than us. And that is what is annoying from a non-old firm perspective because we have grown up knowing that unless you take an axe to someone and decapitate them, that's probably the only way you're going to get a penalty at Celtic or Rangers. Yeah, I think it was I think it was very petty that that letter was sent in the first place. That should never, never have happened. I think it was even worse that it was it was released and it became public knowledge. These things should be kept in it. If they've got a, a grievance, then phone up and explain 
why you think you've got it, but to go to the length of sending in correspondence, um, you don't know who's going to pick that up and while it's in there. But no, that's very, very... I, I was really disappointed in that. Um, if you're going to have a complaint, pick up the phone and discuss it. Uh, and again, it should be the same whether you're Aberdeen, Elgin City, St Johnston, Hearts, Mirren, whoever. Um, just accept that you're going to get things that go for you and things that go against you. There's not one referee out there in this country who I can say is biased, and I have never came across anyone who's biased. But so for clubs to go to that extent, I think that's um, that's really poor. Uh, Ryan, just to round off the the chat about the, the Celtic game, I mean, there's no much point in analysing the second half in great depth. I mean, Celtic's extra man, and of course the extra quality they have was was certainly going to tell um, at that point. I, I mean, what do you take from a Hearts perspective? Uh, obviously, it's it's a disappointing result in the end, as Mark says. There's there's no ground lost on Aberdeen, but it maybe feels like a missed opportunity. But do you see some positive signs about Hearts, you know, trying to turn things around after a, a disappointing end to the Robbie Nielsen era? Have you seen a noticeable change that would encourage you from a Hearts perspective under Stephen Naismith? Yeah, I think so. I think it's sort of general feel around the club, speaking to my mates and people that go to the games, is that they feel a lot more confident in the team. They feel like a lot of the stuff that they possibly weren't happy with in regards to Robbie has been rectified in in the performances the last couple of weeks and you know like it there just seems to be that chance of yeah we're going to have a, a better shot at third now under Naismith than we would have had under Robbie which is is a good thing I guess and um, that's something that you know the fans will want to to keep up but it does put a lot of pressure on these next couple of games because they're going to have to start getting a run of results and hope that results go um, in their favour above them. Des, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We'll let you go. We won't get you involved in the um, St Mirren preview. We'll get Bobby Madden on for that. We know he's a big St Mirren fan. So, um, you can... <laughs> <laughs> is it, the game, the game, is the game in Paisley this weekend? It yeah. is, yes. So, Bobby will be yeah, there. That's, that's not too far from me, so I might, I might take out. I'll, I'll see what my commitments are over the weekend. But yeah, no problem at all, guys. Happy to happy come on anytime. Always good to have a, good to have a chat. And you can you can listen to Des um, and a fellow former ref Steve Conroy uh, and host Lindsay Heron on the very good uh, Get Involved Referee podcast. I recommend that. Excellent listen. Uh, the latest episode just came out today, which is on Monday the 8th, talking about um, the Heart Celtic game, amongst other things. Uh, so thank you to Des for joining us for this one. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnels, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So thanks again to Des Roach for joining us. Um, uh, apologies for the line coming and going a little bit with Des. He, he joined us at very short notice. He did have to come on via his phone, so it wasn't the best quality. But he speaks very well. And Ryan, I know you were very apprehensive going, I don't want to speak to a referee. Can't have a referee on. It's terrible don't like them um but but he he's he's a good guy for a referee isn't he he speaks he yeah. speaks well and he gives a good opinion on from he's from a angle of someone who knows the game yeah I, th I was really impressed i thought he spoke quite well I, I was hoping that he wasn't um one of those ones of oh you know referee makes a good decision he does everything right um but i, I agree with some of the things that he said you know regarding that they are under a huge amount of pressure um, at the moment because of VAR and because of, like you said, the Celtic letters and Celtic and Rangers moaning that they don't get anything when 
realistically, they absolutely get everything. So it is one of those ones where, as a player, I always feel that they are trying their best. I just sometimes feel like we've had a couple of refs this season who just aren't very good. <laughs> and you know they'll probably be looking at me being like well you're not very good either but it's just one of those ones where I just feel like they're not at the level that they should be you know there's probably mm-hmm. too big of a gap between the best referees and the so-called worst referees and I don't know if I've noticed that a little bit more because you know we're not involved in as many sort of high profile games as you know some of the other clubs so we we sometimes tend to not get the sort of big referees a lot so um. Yeah, it's just a tricky one, and and you know I agree with you, Laurie. I'm a big sort of one of I don't like VAR. I feel like you it loses it. Football was sort of you know until five years ago was kind of one, only one of those sports that it didn't matter if you went to watch a game down at the park or you're watching the World Cup final. It had the exact same things. You know, rugby they have the the ref, the video referee, and on cricket they have Hawkeye. All those t- different types of stuff, which makes it different once you get to that sort of elite level. Whereas football never had that, and I think you know it's definitely lost a little something with VAR. But like you said, it's it's sort of one of those things that's that's here for good now. Yeah. Rory, I thought I, you made a, a really good point on on our group chat on Friday night. You said, would this game, Queens Park against Dundee? Be as exciting if VAR was in operation. <laughs> yeah, and and you you were a hundred percent spot. No, it wouldn't have been. It would have been about ten minutes longer because there would have been checks for this, that, and the other thing. But there was something joyously innocent mm-hmm. about celebrating a goal back in the day. The only thing yeah. you needed to do was to check the the lines person, the linesman. Yeah. Never mind the assistant referee. It was that. And if their flag stayed down and they ran back to halfway goal. Starting a celebration. <laughs> now, good old days. I mean, that's the thing with it. If you look, even look at the Heart Celtic game as a spectacle, you know, obviously we are hugely disappointed from a Hearts point of view that a red card was given because it pretty much ended uh, their hopes in the game. It was still nil nil, and they held on for a reasonable amount of time. But it was it was really going to go one way at that point. It might have gone that way anyway. But at that at that point in the game, it's been a really tight match. Hearts have performed really well. It's got a good intensity. I know that neither keeper had really made a save, but I thought it was being played at a good tempo with two really competitive teams. You know, Celtic yeah. want to seal the league title. Hearts still trying to chase Aberdeen in third, and it ruined it. It just and it was mm-hmm. a point where absolutely no player on either side had any issue with the decision was made. You can mm-hmm. and that's and that's say, that's saying something because footballers moan yeah. about everything, but even the Celtic players just got in position. Ready for the yeah. free kick. Andy Walker said that in commentary at the start of the second half. He's like, that red card has, has ruined this game as a spectacle. Look, you've, you've got to give Celtic credit. Celtic are 13 points clear of Rangers. They're champions for a reason. They've lost once and I think drawn two games this season. I mean, that, that's outstanding consistency. Yes, they've spent far more because they've got a lot more. I get that. But they, by doing that and by having all that money, and just by the way, having all that money doesn't guarantee success. Look at Chelsea; it's recruitment, it's appointing the right manager. And what are they unbeaten this season against uh, Rangers? Are they, or have they lost once against Rangers? I can't, I can't remember. But regardless of that, they didn't play great against Hearts, but they still found a way. And they probably didn't have to get out of third gear to do so. Could they have gone up to fifth gear if Hearts had kept 11 on the pitch and had that momentum 
throughout. I don't know. Hearts might have won that game. I don't know. We'll never know. But that that consistency is remarkable because you can say, oh, well, of course they're going to win the league with all that money. Well, therefore, the underachieving team is Rangers because they don't have that much less, but they finished 13 points or they are 13 points behind them right now. That's like saying, well, with, with what the wage bill is at Tynecastle, this season, Hearts should be above Aberdeen, probably. But there's a lot of circumstances that go into where you should finish based on where you actually finish. So looking ahead to this weekend, um, Aberdeen lost to Rangers, which means that it's still five points between the two sides. Aberdeen host Hibs on Saturday at Pataudry. Hearts travel to St Mirren. Um, now, I messaged you about this already, Mark, because it's <laughs> an interesting... It's an interesting conundrum in many ways because you know it is third place looks a tall order. Um, five points with twelve points left. We need five point. We need to close a five point gap, and there's twelve points left to play for. Um, obviously, we need to beat Aberdeen. That's absolutely categorically required. If you beat Aberdeen, and it's two points, so you need to one week you need to win, and Aberdeen need to lose or draw if you're going to equal the results. Yes. So you know you're looking at this weekend. If you're going to chase third, you need Hibs to go to Petardry and get a result. You know, if, if Hearts beat St Mirren, Hibs beat Aberdeen, it's two points and Hearts host Aberdeen the next game, so a chance to overtake yeah. them. However, um, if Hearts lose to St Mirren, Hibs are only a point behind Hearts. Um, at that point, the Hibs win Aberdeen would put Hibs above Hearts. And, and the, by the way, St Mirren beating Hearts would put them just one point behind yes. Hearts. Yes, so bear in mind, fourth place is obviously... Uh, more prize money and a and a round further in Europe, um, where we start. Um, fifth place is not guaranteed Europe, but is most likely. Sixth place is not European football at all. Um, so obviously we want Hearts to beat Simmons. Absolutely, that goes without saying. But the other game is, I know, I know, I know, Mark. You said you said to me straight away, easy Hibs win. Yes, of course 100%. we want Hibs win. But um, it does get tricky because it. We will start looking over our shoulders if if Aberdeen win that game, or if Hearts indeed lose the, the game to St Mirren. After this game, there's three games left. One of them's at Ibrox, one of them's against Aberdeen, and then there's a the derby. It's a must-win for Hearts at St Mirren, and it should be treated as thus. And if it means gambling with five minutes to go and going for a winner, if it's tied, then by <laughs> all means, go for it. Oh, I'm not saying that we should be going for a win. I'm just saying it's it's interesting no, looking well, at the Aberdeen Hibs game because <laughs> yeah, you want you want Hibs to win. You you want Hibs to win. I mean, is it, would it be the worst result? A draw. Okay, let, a draw. A draw. Let, let let's take this as a scenario. Okay, Aberdeen Hibs draw fifty four points. Hearts win at St Mirren if we do fifty one points. Better goal difference. So there's your three points. You still go into the game knowing yeah. next week against Aberdeen that you would overtake them on goal difference if you beat them. And therefore, you would both be on 54 points. Hearts would then have to go to Ibrox in the midweek. Now, that is round 37, I believe. So that means that St Mirren would be taking on Aberdeen, but that game's yeah. at Pataudry. Yeah, and if Hearts are to beat yeah. St. Yeah, if Hearts are to beat St Mirren this weekend, the likelihood is it's going to be very, very difficult for them to to get fifth St Mirren. So have they down tools by that stage? 
So I think the big games are going to be the next um, two weeks. I mean, uh, the last two, so the last two weeks of the season, both Hearts and Aberdeen have to travel to Glasgow for games that. Yep, Rangers and Celtic won't have anything to play for in the individual games, but there's still games that you wouldn't fancy Hearts and Aberdeen to get results. You know, Hearts go to Ibrox second last game, Aberdeen go to Celtic last game. Hearts obviously, you know, Hearts need to be, um, I think, within that three points going into those final two games. Worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I'm putting it into and playing it out like this. An Aberdeen win is what we don't want. Is a draw the worst result? No, it's not because it, it it keeps it keeps them kind of from gaining any any ground on us as long as we avoid defeat. So, ideally, ideally you want a, a Hibs win or 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 draw. Um, but but we have to beat St. Mirren. I was watching um, the the end of the the Championship regular season in England today, and Tony Mowbray, whose Sunderland team snuck in in sixth place. To the playoffs was adamant after the game. He says, "I told my staff, do not under any circumstances tell me what's going on elsewhere. I don't want to know if Millwall are ahead. Millwall were ahead three-one, and Millwall lost to Blackburn four-three at home. It was a capitulation in the second half. But he was totally unaware. He didn't even know who they'd be playing in the playoffs after that. Tony Mowbray. That's what Stephen Naismith's probably going to be like on Saturday. Just forget about Aberdeen Hibs." Just win. Whatever happens there, we you cannot control something you've got absolutely no control over. Just when coming out, oh shit, Sherlock. See where we are, don't start <laughs> fucking motivational speaking. Control the controllables. Yes. Control the controllables. Ryan, what do, what do you think? Then you've seen plenty of submitting, plenty of hearts this season. Um, obviously, still a big game for both hearts in particular. Um, do you expect them to to go to Paisley against uh, a physical and well organised submitting side and get a result? If they want to have any chance of finishing third, then they need to. That's very I diplomatic. That's... I said, will they? Will they? Mask if you <laughs> call it. I think they will. Yeah, I think they will. I Good think lad. they will. I think the last couple of weeks they have shown a bit of a different intensity. And, and like you said, it's going to be a difficult game. But I, I feel like at the same time, these types of games suit St. Mirren. Um, you know, I feel like I don't know if the facts would back it up, but St. Mirren struggle against teams that they have to dictate the play to. And a lot of teams in the bottom six also do that. You know, we struggle when we sort of have the onus on us. So we have such a bad or such a poor home record is because when we have to dictate the game, we struggle. And I think St. Mirren's a little bit like that. So they'll, they'll suit, they have the players that can soak up pressure while having players that are dangerous on the counter-attack or can cause problems from set pieces. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a good season this year, but sort of the top two in terms of everybody's got something to play for. And if you're in the St. Mirren camp, you'll be thinking, right, we beat Hearts this week, then we're right in a chance for, you know, fifth or fourth or mm-hmm. whatever it is if they can go on a run. But um, if I was to make a call, I, I would expect Hearts to... Well, I wouldn't expect them, but I, I would think that Hearts would win that game. Okay. With everything uh, that's on the line for Hearts. I certainly take that. Mark, I mean, in terms of how Hearts set up for this one, do you expect it'll pretty much be the same bar, you know, Alex Cochran at the moment will be suspended for one game, so probably Kingsley in for him? Yeah. Kingsley will come in for Cochran. Right-back's an interesting one. 
because Hill was put in for Atkinson because he's probably a better defender. I think we need someone that's pretty good going forward as well. And I, I, I think Atkinson is not a better defender than Hill, but I think he's better going forward. Are we playing Atkinson instead of Hill? I believe you could argue that St. Mirren are physically Physical, yeah. bigger. Okay, fair. I'd play fair. Hill. I thought he was terrific. I think you can't... I, I, I must say I'd written him off, but given some fairly recent displays... Um, and given he's not naturally a right back, I didn't think he looked very comfortable there when he played there last time. I, I, I would I wouldn't have even been surprised not to see James Hill start again before the end of the season. Um, so, eyebrows raised for me when Atkinson, as far as we know, wasn't injured, was on the bench. Um, but I, I think he proved a lot of people wrong. Certainly, in that display he's obviously got to carry on. But I thought he was fantastic um, at the weekend. Yeah. He, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't offer the same going forward, but um, he does have that long throw as well. So I. I think Ryan makes a good point on the who we're up against. Yeah, maybe in the second half, say it's nil nil, we're not offering enough width. Maybe <laughs> then yeah, change it. Yeah. But yeah. I would, I would say it'd be very harsh. I think he was man of the match at the weekend. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take yeah, James. Hill I don't out, think so. there's much wrong. I don't think. That, and by the way, I'm looking at St Mirren at Easter Road. They play, I, I think they played a three five two for a lot of the season. It's not yeah. like they're up against a left winger. Tanzer's the left wing back, and we'll try and get forward. So yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with the one change. Um, out goes Cochran because I don't think it's worth appealing. I don't know if they have or or haven't, or if they've said they are. No, not, with things. not with what happened with no. Aberdeen. A ten game ban, <laughs> <laughs> not to be seen again. So yeah, same same again. One change um, at the at the left back and give and us a score. Um, I'm off my nil nil because don't say nil nil. Didn't work. It. I'm not. You... No, you reverse hexed it, so that's why it didn't work. <laughs> I, I, I think there'll be goals in this one. I'm going to go two one hearts for this one, and I think Janelli is among the scorers. Okay, Ryan, what do you fancy? I'll go one nil. Okay, uh, I will go. Take it. Franklin penalty. Shanklin penalty, 1-0. Very one. safe. Um, what are you having? I'm going to go with the Hearts win. I'm going to go 3-1. I think I'm with you. Oof. I think oh, there'll be goals. I think the way this <laughs> Naismith team sets up, I think Super it'll be... Horny. Um, oh, yes. Um, I know St. Mirren can be conservative, but I think Hearts will will get the opener, which will mean it'll have to open up a little bit. Um, there'll be a little bit of fire in this game, I think, after St. Mirren won the last one. A little bit of edge, a little bit of needle. Um mm. So uh, I think we've red cards. Yeah, red cards in both the last couple of games. Didn't we? we had um, Snodgrass at Tynecastle, and uh, Fraser got sent off for a ridiculous challenge. Remember late on in Paisley. So I'm going to go three one Hearts. Uh, I don't usually like to throw his name out there because he's got so many goals, but I'm going to say Shankland as well. Three one Shankland on the score sheet. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Are you going to make it back for this weekend? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I should be back. Whether I play or not is a different thing, but I should be should be fit and available for selection. So looking up the way now, you got you got Motherwell at home, don't you? So you got Motherwell just um, only four points above you. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a, one of those ones that if we do go on to win that, then all of a sudden you are thinking we could catch them and possibly Livingston as well. You know, they seem to be um, on their holidays a little bit at the moment with recent results, but. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones that we are at home, and like I said, when the split came out, we we looked at that as three home games and and you know, big opportunities for us to to go on and win, and um, 
yeah, we have a lot more confidence and, and seem to be playing better the last couple of weeks. So hopefully that can continue into the weekend. What do you think, Mark? St. Johnston, Motherwell? We 1-0. Yeah, St. Johnston a... win, maybe? I don't think there'll be goals. I don't think there'll be many goals. Um, <laughs> Not if Ryan's back, solid, you know. Van Veen yeah. in his pocket, it'd be fine. No, mm-hmm. St. Johnston 1-0. They're fine. They're, they're fine. They'll, they'll, they'll be okay. Oh, no, don't give them the kiss of death. This will be played back. Mark Donaldson says St. Johnston are absolutely fine before losing the final four games of the season. Oh, I wouldn't be fucking up if that happened. Yeah, that's true. me. Um... Well, we will be back next week to review uh, Hearts uh, away to St. Mirren. We maybe even talk about St. Johnson Motherwell if, if St. Johnson don't get beat. And if mm-hmm. that's if, if St. Johnson do get beat, I'm sure Ryan McGowan will be busy next midweek. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Mark, thanks to Ryan, and again, thanks to Des for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we will talk about players who didn't quite make it, those youngsters who didn't quite fulfil their promise. I know we spoke about its homework last time, but given the controversy at the weekend, we want to get Des on to focus on that a little bit this week. So you can still get in touch um, on at Around the Funnel on Twitter. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Let us know if there's any of those younger players you remember seeing in a heart shirt you thought had potential but didn't quite reach the heights they could have um, or anything else you want to, to let us know about feel free to get in touch until next time thanks for tuning in